You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, I'm former Buffalo Bills wide receiver Don Beebe, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Because nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our draft recap episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us. We talked with Dan LaVoy and Griff the BuffaloRumblings.com draft writers to discuss the Bills 2021 NFL draft class. And it was a tremendous conversation. We discuss the draft in general, our thoughts on the class as a whole. We discuss uh, thoughts on each player. We break down each player in each round and discuss the strengths and the weaknesses, where they might project to the Buffalo Bills in 2021 and beyond. We talk about the Bills' potential draft strategy in general, uh, positions that they felt were bigger needs. We try to piece together exactly uh, why we think Brendan Bean took each player at each position in each round. Uh, we discuss the, the needs of the team as we saw them and as Brandon Bean saw them. We talk about undrafted free agents, and we talk about uh, the drafts of the other teams within the division. So a great conversation. And without further ado, Dan Lavoy and Griff from BuffaloRumblings.com. They are the draft writing brain trust for BuffaloRumblings.com and give all their expertise all year round on the site. And I'd like to welcome back Dan Lavoy and Griff to the podcast. Guys, how has it been writing um, dozens of articles over the last few days? It's been uh, tremendous and exhausting. I want to thank all of the readers who and commenters who kind of stepped in and, and had a lot to say about this weekend because that's what makes it worth it. Um, but yeah, at this point, I'm ready for a vacation. <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of the negatives of the Bills drafting uh, so late in every round uh, and being so good during the season, obviously, is that you stay up past your bedtime to uh, watch the entire draft, and then finally the Bills pick. So they ended up picking every night. You know, felt like they were picking every night at like eleven thirty. So, uh, so it was getting a little tiring, but uh, <laughs> but considering wh- why they were in that position, I feel like it was worth it. Yeah, yeah. There was a crunch time for a lot of a lot of you guys and a lot of the content creators just trying to get some stuff out there. So let's get right into the Bills' twenty twenty one draft class. 
Um, in general, um, I'll start with you, Dan. Uh, what were your like overall thoughts? I'll ask for grades later, but just in general, I mean, what kind of thoughts do you have after this whirlwind of a weekend? Um, is it how you thought it would go? I mean, what did, what were your thoughts in general of the draft class of what Brandon Bean has done and uh, and what you were able to write about? Yeah, I thought this was this was a tough draft for sure. Uh, and leading up to it, I know when we went in our podcast uh, pre-draft. And we went through the mock draft exercise. It, it was not a straightforward system for the Bills. There were there were teams, you know, picking so late. You have to wait for other teams to go. Players you like are going to be gone. Um, the the draft board as it as a whole did not necessarily line up with everything that the Bills necessarily needed. Um, so I I think that the Bills ultimately tried to work with what they were given, um, but it. it Definitely didn't blow me away. Um, I, I I think it was a solid draft across the board, and I do like having a focus on like the offensive and defensive lines. Um, like when in doubt, that's a good way to go. I also really like some of the athletes that they went for this time around. Um, like I'm always here for for betting on athleticism. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd say it was a solid draft all around. They took a lot of gambles on players that hopefully will pan out. And if so, it'll be awesome. Um, but it, like, it would not surprise me if half of these players just don't distinguish themselves at the end of their career. I don't know yeah, what I you think, think, Griff. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, if there was a theme to this draft, it would be long-term versus short-term. Uh, Brandon Bean, when he had talked about what his plans were and, and did a, a bunch of interviews before the draft was talking about how, you know, the team's going to make more picks in consideration of not just this coming year, but next year as well, more more picks in the long term. And I think the draft basically satisfied uh, that requirement throughout every round almost. Um, the, I think when we did our mock draft and talked about uh, talked about uh, the draft previously on, on the previous podcast, we ran into a situation, basically the least ideal situation is that there was no standout first round pick that we were, you know, going to bang the table for. And that's actually what ended up happening on draft, on draft night is there was no first round pick that we were like, Oh yeah, the bills are going to take this guy. It's going to be a slam dunk. It's going to happen. I just think the board fell in a, the board fell poor, poorly for the team. Um, at least in the first night and then going in the other, the other nights, um, it was, yeah, like, like Dan said, there was a, there, I like the focus on, uh, the offensive line and the, and the defensive line, the focus on athletes, um, generally, uh, over just more, you know, obviously there were some exceptions to that later, later in the draft that we're going to talk about, but yeah, love, love the emphasis on athletes and just the emphasis on, uh, the long-term solutions for various positions rather than just, uh, oh, we have, we happen to have a need at, you know, number two cornerback. Let's just take the best guy available there. So from the outside in, and obviously you guys are the experts. So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, asking you if, if this is kind of what you saw too. Like you, you were just talking about theme just now, Grief, Griff, and it was like, I felt like the theme was a little bit more like potential, like potential with these draft picks and also like, um, high upside and maybe also the ability for the, they felt they feel so confident in their co coaching staff to like take these guys from wherever their floor is to like reach that ceiling, whether it was defensive line or offensive line. Like there wasn't a lot of at least, um, a ton of production in these areas. 
So like, it was harder for me to say like, oh, like this guy walks in from day one at any position and is automatically a starter. It felt kind of like a lot of these guys are not going to be starters this year at any specific position, but they have the ability to become potential starters later. Is that kind of how you saw the draft from, from your point of view as well? Yeah, absolutely. If if a Bills if Bills fans have gripes with this draft, it's that the team did not come out of this whole draft with a starter, with one starter that you can hang your hat on and say, "Oh, that guy's going to walk in and and you know be able to to walk straight on the field and contribute." You know, they're and and that's a draft. This is a draft with eight draft picks that they you know class that they had that that had eight draft picks. So I mean, you know, that's that's a legitimate gripe. Um, and obviously we talk about how you can't necessarily judge a class, uh, after, you know, immediately after the picks or even after the first year, usually you want to judge a class after about the third or fourth year. Um, but you know, that is a, that is a legitimate criticism and I don't, I I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see a starter emerge from this class, at least this training camp. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it, it definitely partly because of the positions they chose early on. Uh, I mean, defensive end and offensive tackle both are clearly set in stone on this roster today. And, and you know, nobody in this draft was going to change that. They're, they're not inserting Penny Sewell or anybody onto their team. So that's not going to happen. Um, but I, I think the Bills have shown that they're okay with that. And we, we can look at last year as an example where top pick A.J. Epinesa basically redshirted um you know he got in here and there but um everything for that year was all about rebuilding his body and rebuilding his understanding of the playbook to in theory to make him an impact player going forward and we'll find out if that's the case now uh but he he's the prototype for um for greg rousseau and carlos basham who they got uh but at the same time last year we did have uh you know, Gabriel Davis stood out in his own way, not as a starter, but having an impact on the team. And I think that's the best case scenario you're hoping for here is that you will see an impact come on the field and they have, you know, five tackles for loss in the season. That's a positive contribution. You see potentially Marquez Stevenson, the wide receiver that they drafted, potentially breaks into the team as a kick returner. So here and there, there can be some contributions, but it's definitely a draft for the future. Yeah. Yeah. And worth pointing out and worth pointing out, you know, this, it's not just, it's not just a function of the class. It's also a function of how good the team is, how, how much depth the team has, the quality of the team in general. This is, this is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, when it's a result of the success that the teams had in the short term. So I just think, you know, part of it is, part of it is the positions the Bills took, but part of it also is just the quality of the team itself. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, you guys. Appreciate you bringing that up. Now let's go right into the first night of the draft, round one. There's some players still on the board for you. Um, you know, you see Greg Rousseau, the defensive end out of Miami, who opted out in 2020 uh, for COVID reasons. For reasons, his mom was a COVID nurse, and he was just trying to be safe, as far as I know. Um, and he's a six foot seven inch. 266 pound uh he's a behemoth and he racked up 15 and a half sacks in 2019 like i said opted out the 2020 season um i 
so I mean, just been paying attention to a ton of mock drafts. I've been looking at, you know, different areas, who's available. I, for some reason, never have seen the Bills pick Greg Rousseau a whole lot. That was kind of a surprise to me. When you guys look at that, when you saw what was on the board, saw who was still on the board at that moment, were you at all surprised? And what are your thoughts on the, on the pick in general? Well, I, I think that the final five picks of the first round are going to be talked about for a while because we saw four edge rushers picked in that span. So Peyton Turner went to the Saints. The Bills went with Rousseau. Then the Ravens took uh, Jason or Odafe away. And uh, Joe Tryon went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so I think all four of those players are going to be compared through their careers. And and I think there were there was a, definitely a camp looking for Owe and thinking of his sheer athletic potential. I mean, as big and, and scary as Greg Rousseau looks on the field, like oh, you could dream on OA in the same way as, as a high potential developmental edge. Um, and, and Tryon came in with more seasoning overall. I, I think we're going to have to consider that, but I, like I, I Greg or Griff already mentioned this, that, it, it was not a clear favorite out of the group. I think it was a pick your, pick your favorite, um, just, you know, based on your personal preference. I happened to prefer Russo out of the pack there, um, but I think I was the standalone on the rumbling staff in that regard. Uh, I, I am a fan of the way that Russo dominated when matched up against guards on the inside, because that's a thing that the big, Bills have had a tendency to do with their defensive ends. And so I could see the fit there. And I'm willing to accept that he had poor results on his pro day, given that he had a very non-traditional pre-draft process this year. So I chalk that up to, you know, randomness and we'll see where that lands either way. Um, but all the context for why I like Greg Rousseau, when you put it into the context of the overall draft class that the Bills landed on, it may or may not work out as it, as it does in a vacuum. So we can talk about that a little more later, uh, but I don't know how you felt about this pick Griff. Yeah. I mean, I, I t mentioned this before. I don't like the way the board necessarily fell for the bills. Um, you know, I think the team was, I in personal opinion, I think the team was looking more for one of the quarter cornerbacks to fall, um, particularly Greg Newsom. We had talked a lot about that, you know, during the previous podcast and he got, he ended up being taken uh, just slightly a couple of few big, a few picks before the bills uh, went. And, you know, that, that basically left Tyson Campbell uh, from Georgia as a, as a corner that was available. Um, but he's not a, not a super great fit. Um, you know, kind of a decent fit. Um, and then a bunch of, uh, a bunch of edge rushers that were available. And, you know, Dan talked about that and it was just, you know, you could see where all of those edge rushers are basically graded similarly and it's just pick your flavor. Uh, however, yeah, I was, I, I think I would have prefer, preferred, uh, try on there. Um, actually, actually, um, just based on, you know, his higher athletic potential, he's similarly, uh, you know, decent length as well as that's one of Rousseau's strengths. But uh, with Rousseau in particular, I, in almost in retrospect, it's it's surprise it's surprising that nobody projected him more to to the Bills because he is kind of what the Bills look for in their defensive ends, or at least he he has the frame for it, he has the he has the length for it, you know he's he 
can become what the Bills want out of out of their defensive ends. Um, you know, I think his story is actually how he's used on the field. His story is actually very similar to AJ Epinesa in that you know these are he, these guys came into the previous year, you know, into the current the, their last college football season, and were thought of as as high first round picks. Like we're talking, you know, top ten, top fifteen picks when they when they started. Then throughout the their season, their their final season in college, they kind of fell down draft boards. You know, people looked at them more closely, realized that they weren't um, elite athletes necessarily. Uh, you know, aren't aren't great pass rushers in any way. They're more power rushers, so they're they're a little bit more limited in terms of uh, what their role is. But you know, I think Rousseau is you know, like Dan talked about. You know, he's got the four, the fourteen career games, highly productive. Um, you know, can, very productive inside, uh, which is what you see a lot of his tape is, is he's just smacking guards just with his, with his long hands and, and able to laterally move around them, you know, because of, uh, guards a little bit more limited in terms of lateral agility. Um, but, and that's somehow seen as a, as a knock on Russo. Um, when, you know, he, yeah, he got a lot of sack production from the inside, but that's how Miami chose to play him. I mean, you know, you can't really fault the guy for, being productive in the role that he's placed in, you know, my, that Miami chose to put him there and he, and he, you know, got that high amount of sacks in one season, 15 sacks in, in uh, his one uh, full season. So you can't really blame him for that. And then the other thing is, you know, I think uh, he is just really, really raw on the edge. If he rushes on the edge, his move is to basically just run into the tackle, hope that the quarterback gets, gets flushed forward in the pocket then you just you disengage from the block, use his long arm, just grab the quarterback's jersey and just pull him down. Like that's that's the go-to Greg Rousseau move. Um, so I just think you know he's he's super raw and you know he needs to be coached up by the by the Bills' defensive coaching staff. And the the pick will ultimately be judged on how the Bills are able to do that. How you know the the Bills coaches are able to take this guy and turn him into something, uh, you know, something resembling a high echelon starter um and you know their ability to do that kind of remains to be seen um aj epinesa had some good you know they changed basically epinesa's body type last year and they they transformed him and he showed some flashes on tape towards the end of the year so you know that's definitely positive and you know i think the hope is that rousseau's you know rookie season ends in a sort of similar transformation and development all right great well you know that was obviously a very important pick for the Buffalo Bills. And you had the feeling, at least I had the feeling like, okay, they got their edge need. They're going into the 2022 season. They're having AJ Epinesa and, uh, you know, Greg Rousseau starting on both sides, unless they re-signed Jerry Hughes um, or bring in someone else via free agency. And then in the second row, in the second round out of what it felt like, I, I, I mean, we talked about this in the last podcast about double dipping. Dan, you're more of spreading the wealth. Griff is like, yeah, let's do it, man. If it's if it's there, I don't remember you saying specifically back to back rounds. You may have you may have thought that that was okay, uh, but the, the Bills did it, and uh, and I'm not upset with it just because. Um, I mean, the, the more likelihood of something like this happening, uh, or or the success of one of the defensive ends obviously increases the more shots you take, but the bill selected wake forest defensive end, Carlos Basham jr. Uh, he's six foot three, 275 pounds. Um, I'll let you guys discuss him a little bit. Um, I'll start with you, Dan. 
I mean, what are the differences that you see between him and a Greg Rousseau? And could you see them being used in different areas, maybe in the beginning of the career and maybe later on as they go on and maybe they become a starter? Yeah, I think the two key differences here, uh, stylistically, they actually are kind of similar in that uh, I would I would see Basham used in a contain rush approach as well as a like a power end and flexing inside on passing downs. And that's kind of what I alluded to where I said, in a vacuum, I really like the Russo pick. Uh, when you put it in context with the Basham pick, I start looking at, you've got three or four guys now on the roster who all kind of have the same role. And like, is there room for all of them? Do you want to just have a four defensive end line and just see what that'll work like? Uh, I don't know. But uh, the distinguishing piece with Basham, first of all, much, much more experienced than Russo. It would not shock me if like out of training camp week one, Basham plays more than Russo does. Would would not shock me if Basham plays more than Russo does through the whole rookie season. Uh, he's He's been like, like a four-year starter, like 50-year senior type, and uh, very, very productive every game in his college career. So he, he's got that going for him. Um, so I, I thought it was a good pick with the talent they're getting. He certainly was at near or at the top of the board of the players they could pick. And I, I think it's fair to say that the edge rush last year was not threatening and like Mario Addison did his best, but it, it was not enough at the end of the day. And there's nothing wrong with going all in on revamping the pass rush. When you put it that way, you just have the sunk cost of, of paying for everybody else that you already tried. Uh, that said, the, the pick stood out to me because I had a really, I had a real feeling that the Bills might look for Oklahoma center Creed Humphrey, who ended up going to the Chiefs two picks later. Um, that it just seemed like a classic pairing for me of a, a, a really experienced player, uh, a wrestler. We all know the Bills and Sean McDermott love their wrestling backgrounds. The idea that John Feliciano and Mitch Morse may not be long for the team given their contracts and things. Um, it, it just made a lot of sense to me that you went with developmental edge rusher in round one, get a developmental setter in round two. Um, they didn't go that way. I'm not ultimately a fan of the strategy with, with that, but, uh, but that's nothing on Basham who I think is a solid player. And I know Griff has a lot to say about Carlos Basham because, uh, didn't he picked him in round one when we did our he picked him in the round one so this is like a steal for griff he must love it right (laughs) so happy so happy um so i mean you know i think the the strategy here for the team was probably less you know about doubling up and saying oh you know we really need to solve our pass rush and and you know need to commit resources to it rather than it was just carlos basham standing out at, at the end of round two you know 61st overall basically the top of round three at that point uh, the fact that, you know, a player with his background is, was sticking around until almost the end of round two was probably, uh, one of the reasons the Bills chose him. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Basham. I think this was one of the highlights of, of the draft for me is, is just, you know, and comparing him to Rousseau, I think it's, it, he's, he's used similarly, like Dan pointed out, but as a, as a player, he's, he's pretty different. He's, 
elite basically from the chest down. Um, he has, he's just a really dense, you know, he's six, three, he's really dense. He's two seventy five. He moves well laterally. Um, he's just, mo- he's much more elite in terms of his movement ability than Rousseau is. Um, he's, you know, at, he's stronger than Rousseau, I would argue at this point in, um, in his career. I think, uh, you know, he can, he just has the potential to, to bully, uh, tackles and, and get into their chest and bull rush them. Uh, you know, super high effort guy, like is going to loop around the entire offensive line just, just to make a sack. He will follow a quarterback if he's breaking out and, you know, breaking out to the left or right and just follow him and get the sack. He'll make tackles, you know, five yards, 10 yards down the field running backs. Like he, you know, he's basically, he's kind of like Ed Oliver. He's like the Ed Oliver of, of defensive ends where he's just, I mean, I was honestly thinking he's like the same size as Ed Oliver, if we're being honest. Like if, if the bills see him as kind of a defensive tackle in a way, wouldn't shock me at the end of that. And that's the thing is, is, you know, imagine a, imagine a pass wrestling situation with Basham in the middle with Ed Oliver. It's just like two really quicker than fast guys, you know, attacking guards, moving, moving well left to right. And, you know, imagine them on a, on a stunt. Um, you know, I, I think there's, there, that's going to be a, a powerful weapon, I think, in the, in terms of the pass rush. Um, and, you know, I, I, in terms of negatives, you know, he's, he's a base defensive end, um, most, mostly. You know, he's not, he's not going to threaten. He, he can bend a little bit. He can bend actually a little bit better than Rousseau um, can, but he doesn't have the ankle to, to really bend the, bend the corner. He's not, he doesn't have the burst to, to really threaten a, uh, an outside shoulder of an offensive tackle. You know, he can, he can dip, he can dip a little bit. He can use his hands. He can disengage, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, he's not a true pass rushing edge threat. Um, you know, he's, he, he's going to win when he meets the tackle and gets to a second move or something like that. Or, or, you know, and, and to give him credit, he does have a, a, a decent, you know, a repertoire of pass rushing moves. He has, he has a couple moves he likes to go to, but likes a SWAT. Um, but, um, so, you know, he's, but in terms of value, I, I, I love the value. And, you know, I think he's, he also has like the worth act, the work ethic you want, um, in a prospect. Uh, and that, and the, I think no, the bill, the bills pretty much value that as well. So yeah, I thought it was a, it was a home run pick. Um, just, you know, in a, like, like Dan uh, says in a vacuum. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it, I, I was really excited about the pick. I was very surprised. Like Dan said that they, they didn't go Creed Humphrey for all of those reasons. And, uh, and we're going to talk about like maybe needs a little bit later as we get to like the offensive linemen and we talk about that. But uh, but part of me starts to think that we don't really know. We we think we know what the team needs are compared, but I think the Brills front office has a slightly different uh, point of view on that. But we'll talk about that later. So round three pick is Spencer Brown, the offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. The guy is six foot eight, three hundred eleven pounds. He's one of the most off. Uh, excuse me, athletic offensive tackles based on RAS scores and, um, you know, a smaller program, obviously compared to a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of different colleges out there. Um, Dan, I'll start with you. Uh, as when you saw this pick, um, I was kind of surprised. I didn't think offensive tackle was as big of a need because they have starters there. I thought they might go interior offensive line for, like you said, Creed Humphrey or someone that would potentially become a starter. I mean, I don't see any of these guys, becoming a right tackle or left tackle necessarily this season, but were you surprised in the pick and what were your thoughts on it? 
Yeah, I I was not ultimately surprised that they went offensive tackle. It's something that I kind of explored uh, in my own mock drafting leading into this. Uh, I, I I think the rationale here is is straightforward. You have two starters at the moment. Deion Dawkins is locked in for a long while. Daryl Williams, you could have him on a one-year contract or you can keep him for the full three years. So you have options there. Uh, but behind them, we have Bobby Hart. He's he's the guy there. And, and I know anybody who watched him play in Cincinnati or any of his previous destinations would say, you don't want Bobby Hart playing as a starter. So you want somebody else for your swing tackle. We don't have Ty in second anymore. You had Ryan Bates is your other backup offensive tackle, and you probably want him playing center or guard instead of tackle. So with that in mind, there wasn't really a swing tackle that you would want playing in the fall. And so I think it made sense to pick a tackle and get some depth. Now, Brown is, he's maybe not ready to be the swing tackle. I, I mean, I would almost say he definitely isn't ready to be the swing tackle. He's coming out of a small school. He didn't even start playing tackle until he was in college. Uh, he he gained ninety pounds in college. So this is a guy who came in, you know, he was a six foot seven string bean who walks into campus and plays tight end. And the coach says, "Huh, you know, you're real skinny. You could put on a little weight. Let's let's try, you know, working you out and see how it goes." And he keeps growing. And at some point, they said, "You know what? Offensive tackle. Let's just go." So he's been doing it. He's got the attitude for it. He has the athleticism to do it, but it's going to take time for him to develop into that ideal prospect. But what I love is he is used to the right side. The left-right transition is not easy to make. And given that we have a left tackle on the field already, um, I, I like that he was primarily working right tackle. And and I love uh, kind of the overall value that the Bills got late in the third round. Looking at some of the other options that were on the board, I, I think you could have made a case for an interior lineman with uh, Ben Cleveland and Quinn Minerts, who went a few picks afterwards. There was also a lot of cornerbacks who were still around, and I know a lot of people had interest in Ifatu, Melifonwu, and that's fine. I was I was in that camp too, but you know, again, we we're not looking at getting a starter here, so I I don't really have a strong objection. I do like the pick. Yeah, here's where, you know, I think it's a similar situation with Basham where, you know, Brown was just sticking out on the Bills board. I, I you know, the he has the athleticism, you know, just the, just the the RAS score, like the raw athleticism. It compares to to guys like Colton Miller and Eric Fisher and Lane Johnson. Like that's that's his comp as an athlete is these high first round choices. So uh, you know, I could see how a guy like that on the, you know, late in round three is, is sticking out on your board. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with, I kind of agree with Dan though, is, is it's hard not to, not to go after more of a need in terms of, or what a perceived need would be, um, like an interior offensive line, lineman like, like Quinn Minerts, um, or that number two quarterback role that we're begging, uh, the team to draft through the out, throughout the entire draft with Mel, Mel Fonwu. But, you know, clearly another example of a guy just standing out on the Bills board in terms of what he brings. Um, you know, correct, Dan, Dan's right. You know, very inexperienced. Obviously, plays at a lower level of competition. That's so he's he's not he's not exactly there from a technician standpoint. 
but his traits are just so good. Like his feet are just so smooth. He, his, you know, that's, I think both of those things, just his raw athleticism and his feet are going to carry him um, into be into a starter role. And to get, you know, to get that kind of value late in the third round is in a tackle is, is rare. Um, you know, and like Dan had talked about is, is the need is not there this year, but Daryl Williams is not a guarantee to stick around. He's had injury problems before. He, there's no, I think the way his contract is currently structured, it's basically a one year deal with a couple option, option years. Um, and then, you know, who knows at that, at that point. So, um, he's not a guarantee for the roster beyond this year. So the team clearly has a long-term and that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about when I say, you know, long-term versus short-term, the team clearly has a long-term need at the position, the coaches and, and scouts clearly, uh, recognize, um, the importance of keeping Josh Allen upright and preventing any pressure from the outside in, in terms of, uh, you know, pass rushers. And I think seem to value really high grade offensive tackles more than interior guards or centers. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, the big discussion is Josh Allen's contract, which, I mean, that's going to be the big discussion now that the draft is done, is Josh Allen's contract extension. And if you think about it long term, um, I saw a good tweet from, from Bruce, uh, Nolan just about, uh, how, uh, the, the amount of money that you're going to pay, uh, a Spencer Brown, if after one year he's almost as good as the Daryl Williams, I mean, you're talking like he's going to be making 10 times less. Than what a Daryl Williams would make, and when you're factoring of in a potential, you know, I know that 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 year, that two years from now, it's not going to be forty million right then and there, but like eventually it will be. So any amount of money you can save by drafting a replacement for an expensive player is going to be huge. I mean, you know, Brandon Bean's been able to uh, plug a lot of holes in free agency, but you know as well as I do, uh, a fifth round pick is a lot cheaper than a two million dollar player, just you know, based off salaries. So any any rookie. Uh, contracts that we can get for and and Brandon Bean alluded to this in a press conference cheap labor or whatever he mentioned <laughs> from these con- these draft picks uh, that that's a great point I didn't see it as an immediate need but I mean the the more you guys talk about it in a year or two may be the time when he can step forward and play that right tackle now we we move on to the fifth round because the Bills didn't have a pick in the fourth round in the fifth round the Bills double down again in Tommy Doyle the offensive tackle out of Miami of Ohio and Tommy Doyle is another another humongous 
uh, human being is six foot eight, 320 pounds, almost the exact same size as, uh, Spencer Brown, um, double down again, picked another tackle. Uh, do you think this was, um, I'll start with you, Griff, this time. Do you think this was more of, uh, a function of the board falling their way or they're just, they want to, they want to get more offensive tackles on this roster because of the lack of swing tackle and every, just the depth behind it. Yeah, I think it's part of it, I think, is the way the board fell again. Um, there weren't a lot of guards taken I, and towards the, I mean, really just in the fifth round entirely and, um, you know, beginning of the sixth. Um, and, you know, only a couple, a couple examples being taken, I think, early in the, in the fifth round, like Jalen Moore. Um, yeah, so not, not a lot of guards available, not a lot. Of, and I, I think, you know, Doyle probably stood out to them uh, based on that athletic talent. Um, you know, based on, on, you know, what, what he brings to the table as just an athlete first, you know, first and foremost, um, he has the similar issues to, to, or, uh, you know, Doyle has similar issues to Brown in that, you know, he played a lower level of competition in the Mac, um, isn't super experienced. You know, I think, uh, Miami of Ohio only played three games, uh, this season because of COVID. You know, had a, the Mac had a bunch of COVID cancellations and I think that, that affected, um, the Jayhawks a lot. Um, so, you know, not lower level of competition, not super experienced, similar athletic profile. Um, you know, just he, I think the problem with him is that he doesn't have the feet that Brown does. Um, Doyle's, you know, just a little bit more, um, a little bit more plotting in his movements. Um, but what you really love about Doyle is his blocking, you know, his, uh, his, his nasty, just like pushing guys down the field. It's really that, you know, that's really, really fun to watch. You know, not, he's not the strongest guy, but, but at least he has, he brings that like nasty streak. Um, yeah, in terms of, uh, you know, need though, yeah, I think this was particularly a, a, uh, pick that I disagreed with mostly because of, you know, it just, it's just another tackle. Like we, I could see the need for, for develop, developmental swing guy. Um, but Doyle's mostly going to be a fit off for the right side at just based on the way he moves, based on his speed. And, you know, he, at his six, eight, three twenty-five, I, you know, I almost wonder if the Bills will try him at guard if he ends up uh, just not being a super great fit for right tackle and seeing how seeing how that works. But you know, six eight at at a guard position or a center position that's that's a tough sell. And he's not you know he he doesn't have the the greatest core strength. He doesn't have the greatest you know ability to anchor. I think against like you know a zero tech or or a one tech defensive tackle. So I I I don't know how well that's going to work. So you know, I just don't love the versatility on him. Um, and I, I just think that's, uh, this was, I think this was probably, a, a maybe the pick that I disagreed with the most, um, even over Rousseau in the first round there. I think this was uh, like the cynic in me thinks that the bills are taking lottery tickets here. It is eerie how similar Tommy Doyle and Spencer Brown sound to each other. They're like, almost clones in terms of their body, you know, composition, their athletic ability that's been measured. The They were both multi-sport stars in high school who ended up lightly recruited for football as a result and were late coming to the position and are still developing. Doyle has experience on the left side as well as the right side. So he's got a little more versatility today. Although I agree with Gris' point that Brown is probably the better mover overall and probably best suited to left tackle overall. But 
I think when you get to day three of the draft, you're you're not necessarily looking for a starter. You're looking for either a player who can fit a niche kind of a role or like a special teams person that you can plug in there, or you're looking for a lottery ticket that you can invest in and, and see whether or not that pans out. So I think the bills are kind of being realistic here with two very similar players and saying in all likelihood at best, one of them is going to pan out. So they are both on our board and we'll take them. Hopefully we get one swing tackle. If we're lucky, we get a starter out of there and we'll, and we'll see what we get looking at who else was on the board in the fifth round, you start wondering, like, what else could they have gotten? There was a good number of defensive backs who came off the board, um, some some safeties, some cornerbacks that if they wanted to kind of address the nickel, they could have. Maybe they can find a guy who develops into a starter there. But yeah, it's it's. I, I said this last time I was on, but I find it hard to argue a lot about players in the later rounds just because realistically they don't get as much of a chance to succeed as some of the earlier picks do. I, I will highlight the the one guy that I saw go after the bills that I, I wish they had picked up was Michigan linebacker, Cameron McGrone, um, redshirt sophomore who had torn his ACL came out into the draft anyway, which is not the right choice, but uh, I, I think he has starter potential if he can get some time to kind of get his feet under him in the pros, but it was, it was, it was a fine pick. And now he's with the Patriots. Patriots so. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes. <laughs> I want to ask you guys yeah, I mean, about the division later, by the way, I want to ask you about the division drafts, but go ahead. What were you going to say, Griff? Yeah. I mean, in terms of guys that were available at that point, I, I liked, I liked Derek Forrest a lot. Um, you know, elite athlete at safety. I think he, he does project as, as a guy that, you know, may have competed for that nickel role. Um, you know, may, you know, he has the athleticism basically to be a, to be a corner almost, um, and could have been a single high safety, could be, you know, uh, a weapon just all over the, all, all over the field. Um, and then I wonder what, what would have happened if Sean Wade hadn't gone immediately before the Bills picked to, to the Ravens. Um, you know, I think that is, was an intriguing option, uh, for several reasons based on the, the potential to be the, the team's number two cornerback. Um, and I think he's gonna, he's a good fit for the Raven system and I think he'll, he'll do well. Um, but I, I wonder if, if Wade would have been the pick had he lasted one more. Yep. So now we go into the sixth round because the Bills traded their second fifth round pick to the Texans for two more, uh, six round picks. So they have three, they had three picks in the sixth round. First one starting with Marquez Stevenson, the wide receiver out of Houston. Um, now this guy kind of projects as potentially maybe a slot receiver, more of a kick returner, punt returner to start off with. Um, Dan, what were your thoughts on, on the pick and, and did you like it? Yeah, I really like it. Uh, like I said, you you want to get either somebody who fits a niche or who has that special teams potential late in there. That is exactly what he has. He was a very dangerous kick returner in college. He was also a dangerous receiver. Uh, you know, he led the Cougars in receiving for two years. He has a significant injury history all in all. And the big question for him is going to be how durable is he game after game, but when we were wondering, is there a player that the Bills can pick up who can come close to what Andre Roberts offered them in previous seasons, 
I think this was one of the very few guys on the list who could have done that. So, uh, you know, if he, if he stays healthy, if he adjusts to the speed of the pro game, I really do like the pick. Yeah. I think these, these next three picks, um, in the sixth round are very good examples of what we had talked about before of replacing a, you know, veteran who might cost a million or $2 million, replacing them with a cheap rookie that can do, you know, approximate the same, the same value for the team. Um, and Stevenson's definitely an example of that in terms of what he can do in the, in the kicking game. Um, he does offer um, some upside, like Dan mentioned, in the passing game, too. I think, um, you know, he's not the biggest guy. Obviously, he's only six, he's about six foot uh, 190. He's a little bit less than six foot. Um, in terms of his, his athleticism, he's really only um, he has average athleticism outside of his long speed. Um, you know, he's not he's you talk a lot about those guys that are quicker than fast. He's faster than quick. Um, you know, he's not, he's laterally, he's not going to make a guy miss in a phone booth. Um, he's just going to take, you know, he's going to take an angle and just go for it and just beat you, beat you to that spot and beat you around the corner. Um, you know, I think he, he also, you know, offers some ability in the, in being a gadget player. Um, I think the bills could work him into some, you know, wider, wider receiver screens, stuff like that. Um, you know, he's not, as you would imagine, he's not a, not a developer outrunner. He's not a guy that's, you know, he's running a lot of slants. He's running a lot of nines. He's running a lot of you know, over routes and stuff like that. But honestly, the the Bills have shown that they can work different types of receivers into their offense. So I think that's less of a concern. Um, and so that's and so that's just really intriguing. And then, yeah, um, injuries are a huge, huge problem. He was injured injured every season, um, I believe, in his college career. Um, and uh, one of them was a torn ACL, which is you know uh, concerning. So that's, you know, that's probably, that's one of the reasons why he lasts into the sixth round and just being, you know, generally unpolished. But, um, you know, for the sixth round, I think it was solid value. Great, you know, intriguing player that is probably going to at least contribute um, on offense and special teams for, for his rookie year. And I think that's a lot to, that's a lot to expect for a sixth round pick. So now we move into uh, the next sixth round pick, which was DeMar Hamlin, the safety out of Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, Griff, let's go back to you. What what were your thoughts? You mentioned Derek Forrest earlier that was picked earlier. Um, I mean, does does this kind of fill a similar mold? How is he as an athlete? And do you like the pick in general? Uh, yes, uh, same. I think similar issue is a solid solid pick. Um, he his you know who is he replacing? He's replacing Dean Marlowe. I think that's the hope. Um, is that you know we lost we lost Dean Marlowe this season and we needed a you know the the third safety who comes out um, who comes out onto the field in certain situations and you know can he handle that role I think that's a that's a good question um, he reminds me I can see why the why the Bills picked him he reminds me uh, a lot of Jordan Poyer in terms of how he plays um, he's very aggressive when he you know comes down and plays in the box but he he doesn't necessarily have the body type for it you know he's six one one ninety five it's a bit light. Um, but he does, he does attack the run really well. Um, and, and, you know, has a willingness to do that, which is important for the bill safeties. Um, athletically he's average, you know, pretty much average across the board. Um, where he excels is that, you know, guy's a captain works hard and he's smart, um, in coverage. He, you know, he, he doesn't panic in coverage. He uses his hands very well to break up passes. Uh, and you know, he, you know, he's, you don't want to put him at a single high safety role at all, but he's decently versatile. Um, kind of, well, you know, uh, a little bit similar to Jaquan Johnson in that way, in that he's just really, really smart and like always in, always doing his assignment. 
And I think that's, uh, that's what you, you know, you want in a six round pick. Um, what I think his role early on just of his willingness to, to hit people is that he's going to be on special teams. Um, he's probably going to have to, to stand out there, um, probably before he sees the field in any capacity, unless he really, you know, walks into tra- training camp and Excel excels. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a solid pick and, and we'll, we'll see what becomes of it. But at the, at the very least, I think the team got a, a really good special teamer. Yeah. I, I definitely want to second the, the leadership, the intelligence. That is obviously a thing that the Bills really look for with their safeties. Uh, and I know when they drafted Jaquan Johnson, that was his primary selling point was that he was the the most valuable member of the of the locker room. So that's the kind of thing that you're going to get with Hamlin is he will know his assignment. He will do his best on that. And they're hoping that they're getting your future Dean Marlowe out of this pick. Um, I, I, I think the bills have a pattern with here with the type of secondary player that they like. They mentioned they want their defensive backs to be able to tackle really well. He has the wingspan to be able to handle that. Um, as Griff said, I think if he can add five or 10 pounds, that'll help his case a lot, but it, it it absolutely is the kind of player you want to bet on late in the draft. So here's a question just in, in general. Um, you mentioned it sounds like he's more of just like a strict safety player. It doesn't sound like, you know, we're, there's only one more defensive back after this. So they did not draft like a big nickel, quote unquote, big nickel. Do you think that that's a way of just the how the board fell? Or do you think that's uh, a product of the Bills maybe don't really uh, value that position as much as we think they do? Um, and I'm just kind of curious because I was kind of hoping that they would do that. Dan, I'll start with you. Um, do, do you think, I mean, what what are your thoughts on that as far as, you know, the team needs and, and how maybe the Bills front office views that? Yeah, I'd say it's a little of A, a little of B. Um, I, I think Brandon Bean has gone on the record to say that they do not see Big Nickel as a, as a specific position that they have on their depth chart or anything like that. It's more of a a sub package that they will move into and certain players get their, get their name called, but it's not a position. I think some people got the impression from how the Carolina Panthers ran their defense that it could be, but at least he's, he's gone on the record to say it's not that big of a deal. And I also think that the draft board was not really big for that this year. Last year had a few intriguing names who kind of stood out in that way with Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duggar and those and Isaiah Simmons to a degree. Those were players that you could see how they fit into that kind of an intriguing role who is a linebacker who stays on the field, even in, you know, very obvious passing situations. This year, like I think one of the top names who was brought up for that was Hamza Nasruddin, who's a day three pick. So that's kind of that's the demarcation here is there was not the same degree of talent this year at that role and it wasn't a role that the bills valued particularly highly to begin with so yeah yeah and then obviously the other the other one was jeremiah owusu koromoa who fell to the second round we're probably going to find out why at some point i don't know why but um i think he could have he has the athleticism to to potentially fill that role um but yeah there it's like Dan said, it's, it's, it's a two part 
um, explanation in that there just weren't a lot of those types of players. And yeah, the, the team clearly, and you know, obviously what Brandon being said is that the, it, they, this, this isn't a specific position. It's Matt Milano fills it out, plays it to, to a certain extent. The safeties can both play a big nickel to a certain extent and do the same thing. So it's, um, you know, it's not a specific position for them. I think it just sticks in Bill's fans minds that, you know, uh, we're coming off a game in which, uh, Travis Kelsey just murdered the team. Um, although I will point out that Tyreek Hill had, uh, more receiving yards than, than Kelsey did in that game. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe lay off on the, on the big nickel and concentrate more on the, on the secondary as a whole, just, uh, letting him run wild. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you see a lot of teams who have maybe one extremely athletic player on their defense and they basically craft a role for them that says, you're the wild card. You're the joker. Go run wild. You're going to man up on this guy. If you see the running back, take the ball, just, just blitz him. And, and they kind of give them that freedom. And that looks really enticing. But at the end of the day, when you try to translate that athlete role into the NFL, it's not a clean fit because big nickel in a way is one of the most challenging type of roles that you're asking someone to take on. Uh, it's, it's in some ways the hardest position to deal with in in the NFL. So that's why people saw Isaiah Simmons may have struggled a bit in his rookie season, even though he was considered a clear top 10 talent on the board. And I think that's why these players have fallen a little bit. I think it really needs a smart team to craft that role and, and build a player up into that fit. Okay, great. Well, let's go into the last pick of the sixth round for the Buffalo Bills. Second last pick of the draft, Rashad Wild Goose, the cornerback out of Wisconsin. Now, a lot of people were hoping that the Bills would draft a cornerback early. You guys have just mentioned so many names, I feel like, in the first, second, and third, and fourth round that dropped that I was keeping my eyes on as well. So I was glad that they addressed the position. Um, is this is this guy, um, I'll start with you, Dan, is this guy um, have any path to starting maybe special teams-wise, or is he a nickel corner? Is he a boundary corner? I mean, where do you see him fit in, in the Buffalo Bills uh, defense? And do you like the pick? Yeah, I, I like it as much as I can like uh, a late round pick. So he's a, this is a junior. He came out early. Um, he injured his shoulder two year or two games into the season and decided he was done and, and opted out and, you know, spent the rest of his time in pre-draft prep. I don't know whether or not teams approved of that ultimate trajectory, but uh, so he doesn't have a lot of experience overall, but in that time, he's worked as an outside cornerback. He's worked in the slot. So he has game day experience in both roles. And at 5'11", 195 pounds, you can see him fitting either way. Uh, I, I like that he has some, you know, he's made plays on some passes. He has the experience of versatility. So he certainly could make the roster in a number of different ways. And he is a pretty young player. so. All in all, I do like it. If he doesn't make the roster, it wouldn't shock me, just given how sixth round picks pan out. But uh, he could he could make his case on special teams for sure. Yeah, I definitely see that. Um, you know, it's it's hard uh, saying the one of the best qualities of a of a corner is is his tackling and willingness to tackle. But that's definitely the case with Wild Goose. Um, you know, he'll pop guys, um, and so I think he that's probably where he's going to excel early on in special teams. He's going to use that that ability. Um, you know, I think it's, it was pretty rare. I think this was actually a strong pick for the team. It's pretty rare to find a cornerback with traits this late in the draft. 
And he has the traits that are good enough to, to start. You know, he's got four, he's got four, four, one, uh, speed. He, you know, didn't do a fantastic job in the three cone drill at seven seconds, but he's got a nice vertical jump. Um, so I, you know, I think, I think he has the traits to potentially contribute a little bit at corner. Um, and like Dan said, you know, he played inside out, um, at Wisconsin, he played uh, nickel, I think in the, in his most recent season. Um, so he's got some versatility there, which is nice to see. Um, I think, you know, he, he'll be thrown into the mix probably with Dane Jackson and, and Levi Wallace to contribute. You know, I think he, this is an example of why, just how the board fell again, how the board fell for the team and that, you know, they never got to a situation where, you know, I'm sure they wanted to, to add more, more, uh, competition for the number two cornerback spot or even just someone who would take that job. But the, the board just never fell that way where there was an easy out of, oh, this guy's definitely, you know, fits on our board and we think he can come in and compete for number two. But Wild Goose is going to, uh, it's going to come in and probably compete with Dane Jackson only by Wallace. We'll see how he does. But, um, at the very least, I think he'll just make the team based on the fact that, um, he has some, um, some ability to contribute on special teams and, um, you know, the fact that the team lost, uh, lost, uh, Josh Norman. So they have an open spot there. Now we're going into the last pick of the 2021 draft in the seventh round. The Bills picked Jack Anderson, the guard out of Texas Tech. Got that interior offensive lineman I had mentioned earlier in the podcast. And, uh, I, I mean, thoughts on a seventh round pick. Um, Dan, I mean, were you, were, like you said, we're talking day three guys. They may or may not make the team. I mean, what were your thoughts on the pick? All in all, yeah, he's, he certainly has the build, the body type to be an NFL lineman. He showed like he was a highly recruited player and one of the best offensive linemen that Texas Tech has had in their school. So uh, he he certainly played well in his career and has NFL potential. Um, the big question that we have with him is that he was solely a right guard in college. And I think in order to make the team, he's going to have to demonstrate some versatility to a, a position. I think center would be the ideal and can kind of follow the John Feliciano path. Um, but if he also can work at left guard, that would be something. There's a lot of competition for interior linemen, in especially the depth players that the Bills have right now. So if he lands on the practice squad, I would not at all be surprised. But um, yeah, the, the Bills have found that they, they've shown that they can find talented late round or undrafted offensive linemen and that they can stick. And uh, Anderson seems like just as good of a bet as any of the others they've uncovered. Yeah, he, he kind of reminds me of, of Ike Bucker uh, to a certain extent where he just doesn't stand out in any one area. You know, he's not... He's not, he's average athletically, you know, which is good for, which is actually pretty good for the seventh round. Um, but you know, he's not going to wow you in terms of length or, uh, height or strength or anything like that. Um, he's got decent, he's got decent feet. Um, he got beat up on, on the, at the senior bowl a lot, um, at one on ones, but you know, that's, that's a high level of competition. And I think that really shows that he needs to be a developmental player. Um, and so I think, yeah, uh, like Dan said, he's pretty much destined for the practice squad at this point, I would imagine. But, you know, he could come back in, in a year or two and, you know, he's got some, he's got some nice traits. He's got some nice, uh, some good feet. He's got decent strength. Um, not, a, not a super great anchor, but, you know, basically, um, you know, he just really needs to build out his core strength. 
And I think, um, you know, give it a year or two and, and maybe he'll come back and kind of be like a Ike Bucker where he can actually compete to start or be, you know, some sort of uh, backup option for the team. And I also, uh, I also do, uh, do agree with Dan that he's going to need to show some, some more versatility to, to be able to stick. So let's talk about the draft as a whole. Um, you know, we have to give it a grade. You guys, you know, put up a put up a, a question on on the uh, on the rumbling site as far as what grade you would give the Buffalo Bills for this draft. Uh, Dan, I'll start with you. Um, what were your thoughts? Uh, I mean, overall in the draft, what what grade would you give Brandon Bean and, and the F- Bills front office? In the moment yesterday, I my snap judgment was a B, and I've thought about it a little more. And I would probably land on a C plus overall. I think that they did the best that they could with a lot of their options, but it's it's hard for me to see a standout, love it, like perfect fit of player and team. And I, I have to dock it just because I do not expect any of these players to be a year one starter. And I know that's a tall order, but um, like I, I still like many of the players that they picked in this draft. Um, and I don't think it's a, a terrible draft. I just think it was a yeah, fine draft. So that's kind of where I landed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm similar. I'm a, I'm a, a little bit better. A B minus uh, would be my grade. Um, you know, I think Bill's fans, and I count myself as among them, wanted, wanted at least one contributor for the team this year. You know, if, if we look at this coming season as being uh, one in which the team is expected to take the next step to be able to get to the Super Bowl, none of these play, arguably, none of these players are going to help them do that. And, you know, that is a, that's a tough pill to swallow when you had seven picks going into the draft, including, you know, your original first, second, or third rounders. So, um, you know, I think in terms of impact, you can't really expect anything this, this coming season. Any, any impact this coming season would be considered to be a bonus. So that has to be taken into account. But then you go back and you say, okay, well, you know, some of these, a lot of these players are developmental. They're going to be, you know, uh, they're great athletes or they have, you know, great length and great frame. So maybe they, they come in and, and start contributing the next year. And that, and that's when you're going to judge a class. Obviously a class gets judged, you know, three or four years, uh, after the fact. So I think that's going to be the saving grace is, is the long-term potential for this class. But yeah, um, I think pretty much I was a big fan of the, the Basham pick, obviously. Um, I, I'm interested to see if he, if he's actually, he might, he might be the, the main contributor this year. Um, you know, outside of Stevenson and, and his kick return ability. And Spencer Brown, obviously, is a very intriguing talent. Uh, we're going to see what happens, what happens with him. Maybe even he, uh, um, is designated as the backup swing tackle this coming season. So, and, you know, we don't want anything to happen to the starting tackles, but we'll see. Maybe he's a saving grace. So, uh, but where I stand at this moment, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a B minus class for me and just not a, uh, I'm glad they, they addressed some, you know, they addressed their pass rush and that was great. But, um, you know, in terms of impact, it's just not, not a lot of short term impact. Yeah, it's such a funny paradox because you you guys alluded to it earlier in the very beginning of this discussion about how there wasn't a whole lot of room for guys to really crack the depth chart um, because of positions. But one that stands out to me is cornerback CB two, and um, you and you both mentioned it you know several times like the the corners that were on the board, you know, uh, uh, Meliant. Why, why am I? 
Melifanwu. Melifanwu? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, Ifiatu Melifanwu, thank you. Um, like, you know, uh, Paulson Adebo was on the board at one point, like one of the later round guys, you know, and, and there were players that were there at different points. And I'm starting to think that I don't think the Bills have ever really thought that CB2 is as big of a need as we do. And I'm thinking that just because, I mean, wh- who do they have competing there? They have undrafted free agent Levi Wallace. Um, they have seventh round pick Dean Jackson. And now they have sixth round pick um, uh, Rashad Wild Goose, and um, which is crazy that he is the highest draft acumen of everyone competing for that spot um, at this point. But um, part of me thinks that at first I was just like, you know, they didn't have anyone really athletically gifted fall to them in the past. You know, maybe they just didn't like a guy or whatever. So they're like, we'll do the best that we can. We're very confident in our coaching to coach these guys up to a level higher than where they were drafted. And now part of me thinks that that that's kind of where they're at. They, they think so highly of their coaching staff, which they should, they, they're great coaches. Um, that they can take these guys and bring them to the next level. Do you guys ever get that thought or is it more of uh they really just didn't fall for them? Or do, do you think like maybe I'm starting to, that they just don't value that position as much as, as much as it sounds like all three of us do. Yeah. It's well, astonishing. Think- it's okay, like, go ahead then. I, I mean, they, the very first draft pick under Sean McDermott's like time was a first round pick Tredavious white. Who's a two-time pro bowler, all pro player, like the best player that they've drafted arguably since these groups took over. You'd think they'd want to run it back at some point. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think, uh, it's, it's let, you know, part of it is, is Levi Wallace isn't a bad option. You know, I think as you get further down the draft to round two and three and four, I think the the team probably asked itself is this player is x player better or how much better than levi wallace is this player and when you get to the fourth and the fifth round i feel like the answer for a lot of players is no and so what's what's the point of taking a player who is not as good as as levi wallace rather than taking a guy like uh spencer brown or tommy doyle who you know are elite in their respective areas, or at least have the potential to be elite in their respective areas. You know, the, the team, like fans have a, have a tendency to discount Levi Wallace because, you know, it's what sticks out in your mind is him getting, getting just bodied by Devonte Parker um, every time we play the dolphins. But uh, you know, I think he's a good player. He's a solid player. You know, he um, is much, you know, matches up very well against certain receivers and, and, uh, you know, brings value to the team as a, as a very inexpensive veteran. Um, so I, I think that's mostly what it came down to is there won't, there wasn't necessarily a cornerback that stood out on the board and stood out on the board as clearly better than Levi Wallace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just, it's just very interesting. Like Dan said, first draft, they haven't, they have, you know, Pick it on Travis White is amazing. But then again, if you think about it, of all the teams out there, how many of them have two Tredavious Whites on their roster? You know, I mean, it's just it's just rare. Um, sure, you could have someone maybe better than Levi Wallace, but um, yeah, it's the coaching staff didn't think so, at least this draft. So um, undrafted free agents, is there a guy that the Bills have signed so far or potentially have signed? I know there's a lot of rumors going around out there. Is there one that you guys like so far? Um, and if so, who? Dan, I'll start with you. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I, go, Griff. Oops, sorry. Go, go ahead, Griff. <laughs> I do like uh, Trey Walker out of San Jose State. Um, not a you know not a great athlete in any sense. 
um, doesn't have good size, doesn't have good um, good speed or anything like that. But he's kind of, he's he's a nice little route runner um, and a pretty decent technician um, for the position at least in college. Um, and you know, I think he has he can play uh, the slot and uh, can play outside, uh, but probably is a better fit for the slot. And the team really doesn't have a good backup slot receiver who would who plays you know kind of the same position, the same role as. Um, uh, as Cole Beasley. And so I think there is kind of a, a path to, you know, maybe, maybe the practice squad for a player like him. So I won't claim to know a whole lot about most of these guys. Um, so best I could say is the player that I've heard the most about is San Diego state safety Tariq Thompson, who was an absolute ball Hawk safety, just breaks up all these passes, forced fumbles, interceptions. He's, he's kind of all over the place. Um, and he did it for four years at his college. And so, you know, even if he's not a great athlete, that type of production makes you stand up and say, this is a player who knows what to do on the football field. So he's, he's backup safety. Will he make the team? I don't know, but I'll be watching to see his name lining up in the uh, training camp recaps. Mm-hmm. Potentially another Jaquan Johnson, right? Another ball hawk that doesn't have the incredible athletic skills or athletic athletic traits, rather, um, at the position. There was there's a oh and, and Quint, go ahead. I was I was just gonna I was gonna point out Quentin Morris too, um, out of uh, Bowling Green. His Bowling Green has been terrible um, at football uh, for the past couple of years. Um, but so I mean, he he came from a just a just a garbage offense, just terrible tap passing offense, but. He has some straight line speed, you know, and, and you don't want him necessarily blocking anyone. He's more of a move tight end, um, but he does have good straight line speed um, and good hands uh, for the position. And, and similarly, I think there's there's potential for, um, you know, a backup tight end, a third tight end contributor on this team. Um, so there may be he may also have a, have a decent shot at making the team. Very cool. It's an exciting time to to learn about these uh these I I was you know, I'm going on the site obviously, Dan, it's your article about, you know, the undrafted free agent tracker, which I'd obviously recommend everyone looking at along with all the other great content you guys are are churning out in, in as far as, you know, all, all the articles I've read. So Cirrus Tutele out of uh out of Fresno State or no, I'm sorry. We didn't sorry, I read that wrong. The Bills didn't actually get a defensive tackle yet, have they? Even in undrafted free agent, I don't think they have. No, that that is surprising. I, Not that yeah. I thought one tech or maybe even three tech would be a position that they draft. I kind of thought maybe an heir apparent to uh, star, but it doesn't look like they've really even addressed that. So they must be good with that going forward, I guess. Another yeah, position. that it, it definitely stands out to me too. Okay, so I'm going to um, ask you guys last question. I'll ask you, Dan, as far as other teams drafts maybe even within the division or anywhere else that you've mentioned uh teams picking before us that picked a player that you might have wanted what other drafts out there did kind of caught your eye and you're like you know that on the outside you know we don't know how these guys are going to pan out in three or four years but on the outside knowing what you know and doing as much research as you do which which um drafts did you like of, of another team out there i have to say um i was really impressed with the New York Jets and the work that they put in this weekend. Uh, I, I, I know that's that's really rare, and I'm I'm gonna you know go buy a lottery ticket, I guess, because when else am I gonna say that? But uh, 
assuming that you like Zach Wilson as the second overall choice, and I know there was a lot of QB debate this year, but if you believe in him and his arm talent and his ability to make plays like we've seen with Josh Allen, the Jets did a masterclass in building up roster support. They traded up and got the best offensive guard on the board in Elijah Bear Tucker. My favorite pick from their draft was in round two when they got Mississippi receiver Elijah Moore, who like I, I thought he was a top five receiver, and to get him in round two was excellent. North Carolina running back Michael Carter is another great playmaker who's very good at like as a receiving back. So they got him a lineman and two targets right out of the gate. And then they just filled up on defense from there. And like that, that is a very solid roster building strategy all around. So honestly, um, that was the most impressive one that I saw. Griff, was there another team's draft either in the AFC East or anywhere else that, that you, uh, that you looked at and you're like, uh, that was, they looked like they did a pretty good job. Uh, I did like the Ravens draft, although I will have to stick in the AFC East, unfortunately, and go with Miami. Um, I, you know, first of all, when you have extra for, you know, first and second round picks, it's hard not to say, oh, you really love this guy's draft because he, they came out with two first rounder and two second rounder, second round guys. So um, let me, let me preface by saying that, but I think the, the Miami's draft was, they probably came out with at least three starters and at least one contributor for their team. Uh, they took uh, Jalen Phillips um, in the first, who, you know, has injury issues. We'll see if he even can stay healthy. But even if he, you know, even if he doesn't stay healthy um, and have a long career, he's going to be, you know, uh, very effective when he's on the field. Then, uh, oh, and uh, Jalen Waddle, obviously, at six overall, who I think, you know, has just a lot of versatility. Super, super electric player. He is going to be very intimidating um, for the Bills when when he's on the field, um, just even as a, as a punt returner, as a kick returner, and as a receiver. Um, then they took Javon Holland um, in the second round. So, you know, versatile, versatile safety, um, really good ball skills, really good height and length. That's that's intimidating. Um, that And he's, you know, arguably the best safety in the draft, uh, even though he won in the second round. Um, and then Liam Eikenberg, who I'm not a super huge fan of and wasn't a super huge fan of, but, but you know, he um, has solid right tackle potential. Um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think he necessarily wows you in any uh, particular area. I actually think Spencer Brown might have been the better um, pick for them probably, but um, I, I assume they got at least three, probably three starters from that draft. So that's, that's a very impressive haul for the Dolphins. Um, and you know, if we're looking for a team that's going to threaten the bills next season, I think, I think they could be it. So I lied. There's one more question. Um, now that we're mentioning quarterbacks, um, you brought up Zach Wilson, Dan, um, a lot of bills fans were rejoicing when the Patriots weren't able to draft Justin Fields. Did you agree with that? Is Justin Fields clearly in your opinion, better than Mac Jones? Or, I mean, from a Bills fan, were you happy with that? Or is it like, wait and see, they're too close to call? Oh, yeah, 100%. Mac Jones does not scare me as much as Justin Fields. Um, I mean, first of all, it's, would you rather face a pocket passer or a dual threat passer? These days, it, the dual threat 
is is a real viable thing, and um, that's so much more dangerous. And I, I'm still curious to see how Mac Jones adjusts to a team where the talent level does not outstrip every other team they face. I mean, we're talking about two top 10 receivers that were drafted and a first-round running back drafted from this team. So what does Mac Jones look like when he's playing with the honestly terrible receivers that the New England Patriots have had up till this point? Yeah, th- yeah, that's I, I concur there. Um, you know, I think Mac Jones might have the might have um, if he does see the field his rookie year, or you know, let's let's just say first year. I think he might have the the more impactful quote unquote first year of some of the quarterbacks, some some of the other quarterbacks. But his his just his his upside isn't isn't nearly as high. And, uh, you know, just being a, just being a traditional pocket passer, he doesn't have, he has, he has arm talent issues. Um, you know, um, so, you know, I think he's a great fit for the Patriots system. Um, but yeah, if, if I had to pick one quarterback, uh, out of the, the top five guys that I wish ended up that, you know, I had to allocate to New England, it would be Mac Jones, mostly because he just, um, just doesn't have the talent that the other options have and, and doesn't scare you in the same way. Well, you know, that makes me feel really good that the Bears jumped up ahead of the Patriots and picked that. Uh, so thank you for reaffirming this thought that I had and a lot of Bills Mafia has. Um, thank you guys so much for spending all the time that you did in previous episodes and tonight in discussing and recapping the entire draft. Um, you know, obviously they can find all of your great work at buffalorumlings.com. If you just look through the page, it's just like, you know, Dan Lavoy, Griff, Dan Lavoy, Griff. Like there's a ton of different articles you guys have been churning out nonstop content. So I'd obviously recommend people go there. Where can they find you again on, on social media or anywhere else? Dan, I'll start with you. You can find me. Yeah. You can find me at Dan Arlevoy on Twitter. And I'm at a Griff four, two, six on Twitter. Great. Great. Well, thanks again, guys. And, uh, you know, this was fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks, Nate. Man, that was a fun conversation just getting all of their perspective um, in each draft. I mean, you always go in with your own perspective of what you think the draft was like for you. But, I mean, the guys that actually study the film and read up about all of these different prospects, it's so much better to get their insight into how how they thought the Bills draft was. So thanks again to Dan Lavoie and Griff for taking the time out of their week to talk with us, especially a busy week of, of just pumping out articles and, and great content on buffalorumlings.com. So taking time out of that to finish up and, uh, and also talk to, uh, to you guys and to, to me. So, um, as far as, uh, obviously the lineup this week for Buffalo Rumblings podcast network is going to be great. They're talking draft all week long, and that's going to be a fun conversation. Just wanted to give you a heads up about our schedule as far as upcoming episodes are for circling the wagons. Um, the off season doesn't stop here for us, even though we just recap the draft. Uh, we have a special mother's day episode coming up next week, uh, where I talk to my mom about uh, my roots as a Bills fan, and uh, we we get some really great feedback from some listeners. And from Twitter, uh, we discuss, uh, we have another episode coming out after that about the movie Draft Day. So if you've ever seen the the movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner, um, either you loved it or you hated it. So we give our thoughts on that. Um, We alluded to it, uh, actually I had uh, the person who I 
recorded that original episode with, we had him on for a San Francisco 49ers preview because the guy's a diehard fan and just has so much insight into the, we just mentioned it offhand and like a half dozen of you uh, asked where the episode was. And I realized we haven't re-released it since we've been on Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. So in a couple of weeks, make sure you watch the movie draft day to discuss that. So you know exactly what we're talking about. After that, we're doing a scheduled release episode with uh, my regular co-hosts throughout this season, Mike and John, so it'll be good to have them back on to discuss that. And then we have an interview with a former Bill that was, uh, I want to say, one of the more influential Bills of the Super Bowl era, um, specifically in the Super Bowls. And uh, and it was a really fun conversation, really insightful. The guy is just an amazing speaker. Um, in general, and his career is absolutely noteworthy and legendary within uh, Bill's Mafia. So that'll be a fun uh, thing to discuss. We are doing a Lorenzo Alexander jersey giveaway, which uh, will be uh, the winner will be announced Monday uh, evening. So if you haven't gotten in on that, just hop onto Twitter and find it, and you just have to retweet it and tag three other Bills fans, and obviously follow us on Twitter at ctwpod. I just wanted to give a couple of quick thoughts on the on the uh, on the draft uh, that I didn't want to take up any more of Dan and Griff's time with. And the first thing was uh, doubling down on positions in the NFL draft. At first, this was kind of weird and odd because we're not used to seeing the Bills do that, especially back to back like they did in taking two edge defenders in round one and round two, and then the two consecutive picks after that being offensive tackles in round three and round five. And uh, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I'm all for doubling down on positions. It doesn't have to be sequential, obviously, but uh, two positions, getting two positions of need in the draft in general. I don't care if it's a first and second round or a first and seventh round. I don't care. I like that strategy a lot. It reminds me of when the Bills drafted John McCargo in the first round. We're like, oh, this is they traded back into the first round to get this guy. This guy's going to be a stud defensive tackle. And oh yeah, in the fifth round, they they drafted uh, Kyle Williams. You know, just as just in case as a depth guy, maybe he you know, his depth behind John McCargo, or maybe he fits in special teams. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. And he ends up being one of the best Buffalo Bills uh, in the last 20 years. So I, I'm all for that. I like that they did that. And uh, speaking of, you know, offensive tackle, I mean, I saw that as a need, but not nearly like a top three or four need for the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, in reading a lot of different articles on the Bills draft and, uh, obviously doing podcasts for buffalorumblings.com on the Bills draft. Um, offensive tackle just didn't seem like the biggest need, but it was just clear to me after this draft that, you know, we all kind of create our own echo chambers within, you know, Bills content of, you know, oh, it's, you know, CB2, it's edge defender, this and that. Um, when it all comes down to it, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and the Bills front office and scouting staff definitely define their own needs for the team differently than we than us fans do. Um, there was uh, that was clear, especially with running back, because there were rumors that the Bills would trade up for a running back in the first round, and then they didn't even draft one this season. <laughs> so that was funny because I did have running back as a need, but uh, the Bills clearly didn't need that. That just goes to show you that rumors cannot be trusted all the time. But yeah, everyone had cornerback too as a bigger need, and the Bills did not draft a cornerback until round six in a draft where there was uh, a deep cornerback draft. So you could have potentially gotten, you know, a starter in the second or third round. 
Um, so that was interesting. I put it on Twitter as far as, you know, what is your theme for the 2021 Bills draft class? I had my theme as potential. A lot of these players that the Bills drafted were potential, I would say, either based on their lack of production at the college level or the level of competition that they played against. If you're talking about uh, Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, um, not the best conference, even if you talk about uh, Tommy Doyle from uh, Miami of Ohio, again, the MAC conference, not the greatest uh, level of play. You're talking Greg Rousseau, um, aka Groot, which I love that nickname, by the way, Groot. I am Groot. Well, that's just as fascinating as the first 89 times you told me that. Um, Greg Rousseau, uh, you know, one year of really great production, but only one year. And Carlos Basham, probably the most productive member of the Bills draft class. Um, you know, especially the first few rounds, uh, just, you know, four years of solid production. And so, you know, obviously all the players after that, you know, are, are all projections, but, uh, the bills theme for me, at least was potential for a lot of these players. And then also the confidence that they have in their coaching staff, uh, the bills went into this draft, you know, and they got a lot of projects, but they feel that confident in their coaching staff that they can coach these, these players up on the offensive line, the defensive line. You know, you're talking Eric Washington, Bobby Johnson, coaches like that that can take these guys to the next level to the where they can become starters. So that's kind of exciting. It depends on if you're into gambling or not. If you're a big gambler, you love this draft. If you're one of those guys that likes to uh, play a little safer, maybe you don't like this draft as much. But anyway, I put it over on Twitter as far as, you know, what is your theme for the 2021 Bills draft class? And here are some of the best ones that I read. Slinky Joe writes Monsters, Inc., which is what this O-line should be called now. <laughs> Thomas Derlach writes Development of Future Starters. Brandt writes High Upside, Low Disappointment. Our friend Kevin Massari over at the Crowd Assist Podcast wrote Project. Big Baller Bean Season writes, he had a gif of Yoda saying, Patience, you must have my young Padawan. <laughs> I love that. Nobody Circles the Wagons. Like uh, the Buffalo Bills writes in trenches. Miss Molly writes in one of our longest, most avid listeners writes. And she says she has a gif and says, I have no idea who he is. And what I love about that is the actual the actual truth that she has in this tweet, because um, there's a lot of the majority of Bills fans don't know who any of these players are. And I, I mean, I wouldn't blame you because I've done a lot of mock drafts. I've talked to a lot of people. Um, a lot of these names just didn't naturally organically come up in conversation. So appreciate her writing in and saying that Lawrence Latvala writes, go big or go home. A lot of people talking about size in this draft. And of course, I mean, if you take two guys that are six foot eight, your first round pick is six foot seven. Uh, I mean, th these are big boys right here. Rob Gillise writes, players whose names sound like craft breweries. <laughs> interesting, interesting thought. OG Singletary Stan writes in, he has a gif of the Monstars from, from Space Jam. <laughs> That's good. Tailgate Beers writes in, girth. <laughs> I like that. Very funny. Jimmy One More writes, big and tall, we draft them all, <laughs> which is good. There was somebody that wrote, I retweeted on Twitter, um, that said, uh, basically, Brandon Bean just scrolls through the heights of the players and then clicks draft. <laughs> I thought that was good. Aaron Y writes, team tall boy. 
Matthew L. Rule writes, you must be this tall to ride this ride. <laughs> and just it was just some funny responses. Appreciate you guys writing into that. I want to take this time to thank all of the people that have been on the podcast this entire offseason from free agency into leading up into the draft. This list includes John Davis, former Buffalo Bills offensive guard, Nate Geary of WGR 550, Kevin Massari of the Crowd Assist podcast on the Trainwreck Sports Podcast Network. Uh, this includes Mike, Mike Catalano from Buffalo Plus. This includes Jenna Cottrell from Buffalo Plus, Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic, Greg Tomset from Cover One, Dean Kindig from BuffaloFanBase.com, Bruce Nolan from The Bruce Exclusive, and Dan Lavoy and Griff for all coming on this offseason, all contributing and all making, uh, all being a huge part of this podcast. And I was so excited and so happy and so thankful to talk to so many experts this offseason and look forward to talking to them again, maybe leading up into training camp and going there. So for me, Nate, go Bills. Thank you, Brandon Bean, for not drafting a running back in the first round. And we'll talk to you guys again next week. Don Brown. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. Hey, hey. Who you repping? What's your team? Who you repping? What's your team? You know I'm repping for my team. I got that challenge on my team. Like a high Jordan boy, can you catch it? Trade day is like a mask, you're not catching anything. Matt Milano making plays, we not scared of any team. Best in the AFC, all the praise of Brandon Bean. You hear Sean McDermott clapping while I'm snapping? Do you? Jerry Hughes will get the sack soon as you snap it. Andre Roberts running back, ain't no just backing. Mafia, we on a ride and we got traction. We got BZ, we got digs. Dawson Knox with the stiff arm, treat opponents just like his Feliciano, Deion Dawkins, block defenders like the fence Hey, it's the mafia, I said no one on top of us I said no one is blocking us on top of our division So it's clear that it's no stopping us Google best team in the league and we popping up Hey, who you repping, what's your team? Who you repping, what's your team? You know I'm repping for my team I got a salad on my team it's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Uh. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Hey, it's the mafia, I said no one on top of us. I said no one is blocking us on top of our division. So it's clear that it's no stopping us. Google best team in the league, and we popping up. Home game for the playoffs, but you already snow. Gabe Davis is a rookie, but he playing like a pro. Uh. Going through a table, only time we ever fold. Can you? 17 by the tickets to the bowl. Hey, uh, don't you run it? No. Oliver and Trey Edmonds gonna be on it. On it. We got Corey, but we barely ever punt it. Cause we just running up the score on our opponent. We got BZ, we got digs. Single Terry by the juke him out of shoes. Make a miss. Run it in. Zach also throw the digs. It's for sick. Terry Johnson pig sick to the house. Take a flick. Hey, it's the mafia. You know I'm rocking with the bills. It's the mafia. You know I'm rocking with the bills. It's the mafia. I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the mafia. You know I'm rocking with the bills. Hey, who you repping? What's your team? Who you repping? What's your team? You know I'm repping for my team. Team. It's that big on my team. Super Bowl.
what you mean. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs> Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.